This episode of The Yarn is sponsored by Heinemann in their professional series, Math by the Book. Colby talked with co-author Susan O'Connell. It is a K-5 series with a book for each grade level that shows ways to integrate children's literature into the teaching of mathematics. So at each grade level, we selected 20 pieces of wonderful children's literature and used those, that context from that literature as a jumping off point to teach the great specific math skills that students need at those levels. Math isn't just for textbooks. It's in children's literature as well. The Math by the Book series will show you how to teach mathematics skills and concepts through kids' books. Visit Heinemann.com to learn more and order a copy. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. In today's episode, I chat with New York Times best-selling author R.J. Palacio about her new book, Pony. We talk about the book's unique structure, embracing the unknown, and her hope for this book. Be sure to stick around to the end because we have a clip from the audiobook that we're so excited to share with you after my conversation with Ms. Palacio. All right, let's get to it. Can you tell me about Pony? I can. Um, Pony uh, is is a book that uh, I started uh, a, an early draft about eight years ago, and I was 400 pages into the initial story, um, and uh, and then it just wasn't coming out the way I wanted it to come out. So um, I put it away, and uh, during lockdown, it kept coming back to me, and I started writing. And this time, it kind of came out the way I wanted it to, which was a very fast-paced, uh, kind of quick epic, if, if such a thing could possibly be. Um, it's a story of a 12-year-old boy whose uh, father um, is kidnapped by a band of outlaws in the 1800s um, American frontier, and the boy decides to go out in search of his father um, with only his ghost companion and a mysterious horse that kind of shows up on his doorstep um, the next morning after his father's kidnapped. So it, it's kind of a, you know, a boy meets world hero quest story, um, but it's also, you know, it touches on a lot of big themes. So if you started it eight years ago, was that before or after you finished Wonder? It was after I finished Wonder. Um, and in fact, Wonder had just been published, you know, it was just out for maybe a year. And it was, uh, you know, it was my second book. Um, it wasn't in the Wonder Universe. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have to say, I was always a little nervous about Pony because, you know, the story's been there for a long time. But because Wonder was, you know, so has been so sort of successful and, and, and beloved and all of that, I, I know that I know when I fall in love with a book, I want the author to just write the same book over and over again, you know? And so I was a little nervous about Pony because it is a big departure and um, I wasn't sure how fans of Wonder would take it. But um, so far, you know, it hasn't pubbed yet, but the early feedback I'm getting has been pretty good. So I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I, I'm still nervous that. though. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, 
That's good. That means you care, right? We're nervous about things that we care about. Exactly. So. And not disappointing fans. So that's, yeah. that's my sort of goal. Can you tell us a little bit about Mittenwool? Because it is, Mittenwool is just such an amazing character. I know. And Thank you. I just could not get enough Mittenwool. So tell tell us about Mittenwool. All right. All right. So, um, well, uh, I'll start out with Silas is a boy who sees ghosts. And he is a very, he has a very lonely existence. I mean, basically he and his father who is a, is a wonderful man and, um, you know, they, they have a very close relationship. Um, but Silas is growing up pretty isolated uh, in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, and uh, doesn't have any friends really. And, um, but the one constant in his life, aside from his father, has been this ghost companion that he's had for as long as he could remember. There's been this um, 16 year old boy named Mittenwool who has been, you know, when he was a toddler would be the one, you know, sort of making little faces at him, you know, from the crib and making him laugh and um, kind of learning along with him, you know, uh, just, just how to be alive, you know, and um, only he, only Silas can see Mittenwool. Um, and Mittenwool is his best friend, his sort of boon companion through thick and thin, and also um, his companion out of the loneliness of his childhood. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, Mittenwool is what makes his childhood very magical. Um, and so Mittenwool is really protective, like, like an older brother to Silas. He's very, very, um, you know, when Silas decides that he wants to go venture out into the wilderness to find his father, Mittenwool's like, no, 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 no. That is not the smart thing to do. Let's stay home, like your dad said. Let's wait for him. Let's make sure you have enough to eat. You know, he's kind of like trying to be practical. And throughout the entire journey, he's got Silas's back. Um, having said that, Mittenwool himself is a bit of a mystery to both Mittenwool himself and to Silas. They don't know exactly why he came to Silas. Mittenwool doesn't really remember anything of his sort of earthly uh, existence, you know, which, which in the rules of ghost world and in, uh, in pony um, is, is, is possible. You know, I, I try to explain that just like when people are alive, you know, there are mysteries that we don't know, we don't understand. And some people get it, you know, really quickly and some people don't. And Mittenwill is somebody who, uh, who really doesn't sort of know where he comes from or knows a lot about himself. Um, but I won't say anything more because I don't want to ruin anything for yeah. readers. So in Wonder, you had to follow the rules of the world that we live in. Um, and in Pony, you had to like make up all of these rules in this world. <laughs> Was that a challenge to, because I'm sure that you had it in your head, or did you develop the world as you were writing, or did you know what all the rules were before you started? I knew what all the rules were before I started, basically. Okay. Um, basically that, uh, you know, some, some ghosts know they're ghosts, some ghosts don't. Um, Silas perceives ghosts the way they themselves, the way they see themselves. So if, a so if a ghost knows and, and sort of wears the wounds of his death or her death, um, very visibly and is sort of, you know, dealing with that, um, that's how Silas experiences them. And that's how Mittenwill experiences them as well. Um, but if a ghost has no idea that he's passed on and or has things that he's trying to figure out or whatever, that's how Silas sees them as well. And everything that the ghost perceives is real, um, Silas perceives as real. So, you know, what they're wearing, what they're, you know, the I, I think um, 
Silas's dad once asks him, you know, does Mittenwell cast a shadow? And Silas is like, yes, he does. You know, he gets his nails dirty. You know, he's a very, he's a flesh and blood. He's like a living entity to him. Um, even though no one else, of course, can see him. Silas's dad's pretty awesome. Like, right, like, is it the, like, I want every kid to have a dad or a parent or a caregiver that is just so, I just think about how different everyone would handle this. Your child says that he has a ghost and you can't see him. And his, the dad has like a mysterious past that you're kind of like wondering about. So you have all of these like different pieces in this puzzle that you're trying to weave together what was that like, like trying to get it all to fit? Because it all fits so nicely and we just see like the finished puzzle. <laughs> but I just can't imagine what it was like to try to weave all that together. It, it's so much fun, I have to say, when you've, you've because I, I had sort of landmarks or, or milestones that I kind of wanted to hit. I knew kind of where I was going with different pieces and different strands, different threads. Um, but I didn't have them all sort of figured out quite and then and then sometimes you find yourself writing something and you don't even you know I I uh you know I I knew Mittenwell was barefoot but I, and I knew kind of why but I didn't quite know exactly why until the end and then he kind of told me you know it, it's 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 an interesting thing sometimes I think how the you know you kind of create the characters but then the characters tell you more about themselves and then they solve the own their own riddles of their existence um as you're writing it's it's really like workshopping something and um so so a lot of the you know I knew that um uh the violin the mother's violin would would feature prominently only because you know, one of my favorite movies in the world was Dr. Zhivago. I don't know if you remember that, but the Bella Laika is like a big sort of symbol in Dr. Zhivago at the beginning and at the end. And uh, so I, you know, so so there are sort of there were basic things that I knew that I was going to be hitting. Um, some of them I knew exactly how I was going to work out. Some kind of you know uh, became pieced together along the way. Um, so I, I, you know, I think more than anything, I wanted to touch on the idea that. Uh, you know, we sort of live our lives with a lot of unknowns and the embracing of the unknowns is one of the things that can give us strength and peace, you know, and understanding that we live with things we don't know and we don't understand. Um, but the one thing that we do know and we do understand and what Silas had in abundance with both his dad and Mittenwell is love. He had, you know, and the unconditional love of his father um, who, yeah, is a mysterious character. We kind of don't really know a lot about him. Um, and that contradiction, like can, you know, what is atonement? What is redemption? What is what is good? What is evil? Can can good people do bad things? Can bad people do good things? You know, it's, it's, it's never as straightforward as sort of, you know, one thing or the other. It's usually a little mix of everything. And that's what I was trying to go for. Mm. So I was lucky enough to uh, do create the educator guide for Random House. And one of the things that the thing that was the most fun for me in doing that was reading the book twice in a row. Cause so I'm trying to read all of the books. So rarely do <laughs> I get a chance to read a book again right afterwards, unless I'm reading it aloud to my students, but it was so interesting to read it once I knew how it was going to end. And I knew how all of the pieces were going to fit together because there are like little hints of different things throughout the book that I, I totally didn't get 
uh, as a 40 year old reading this middle grade <laughs> novel for the first time. Uh, and one of the things that I really loved and I think is gonna really help readers through the book is the way that the book is organized with like the, mm -hmm. would you call them chapters? And then like sub chapters, how would you describe that? To, to they're, they're divided, yeah. And I was, I was really try trying to be very strict with the, uh, with the way everything was broken down. Um, basically there are 11 parts, parts. Like, let's, yeah. And then, um, and each part is broken into five sub chapters or chapters. And again, like as with Wonder, I'm a big believer, especially with the younger audience. I love them. Short chapters are mm -hmm. key. So I wanted very much for the pace to be um, sort of, you know, just like you you read a chapter and it's, you know, you read it in a second and then you're on to the next one and and so on and so forth. And um, you know, and also having the little cliffhanger at the end of a chapter that keeps you reading to the next chapter. So those are literary devices, but um, you know, I, I I think they're helpful to 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 have uh, readers to sort of you know want to get readers to want to read more. I mean, I I kind of you know I have two sons. I've read aloud to them a lot. I kind of sort of have a, a sense of. Um, you know, what draws readers in. And, um, you know, it has to be exciting too. You know, it can't just be philosophy and 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 lots of exposition. It, it has to be uh, nail biting and adventurous. And so ultimately what I wanted to write was an adventure tale. You know, this is a story of survival. This boy goes out into the wilderness and he has to figure stuff out and how to make fire and all of that. Um, and he meets all these crazy people along, the, well, not crazy, but like crazy characters along the way, like weird characters and, or, you know, and, and he doesn't, well, I don't want to give away too much, but you know, it's, it's an adventure. It's a classic yeah. adventure. How did you know, or did you have it planned out? Like, cause you go back in time a lot to help fill in, mm -hmm. in the story as we're reading. So be, did you know like how often you were going to do that? Did you have a plan of like all the things you needed to tell us that happened before? Cause I thought that I really enjoyed how you were able to give us that that the backstory slowly throughout the eleven parts. Like, what was that like yeah. as a writer? It was, you know, it, uh, I'll go back. So, um, when I started the story eight years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and I was four hundred pages into it, I was two years into this four hundred page novel, and I was only like a third of the way done, because that version of it was sort of the James Michener version, the giant epic. You know, if, if finished, it would have been 1200 pages. <laughs> it would have been a saga. And it just wasn't the book I wanted to write. Um, having said that, uh, you know, I knew that all of, I, I knew the backstory of all the characters. I mean, I, I kind of, because that's what was in the first version. Um, I, I knew the the love story of, of Silas's parents, Martin and Elsa, you know, they, they have a, a really beautiful love story. Um, I knew sort of uh, where Enoch Farmer comes from and his background. And so all the different characters, Roscoe Lorenshaw, the Arabian stallion, uh, Pony himself has, a, a, you know, he, he's born in the Arabian desert and he ended up in, in a, you know, he's kind of has a black beauty like, um, uh, troubled existence before he ends up with Silas. Um, so um, he, you know, all the characters had a backstory that didn't make it into the quick epic that is the pony that we have now. Um, but by kind of hinting at those stories, I think I was able to sort of like um, make them seem really real, make them seem like they were part of this world because in, in my head they are. Um, and not have to sort of go into a lot of detail about who they are or their backstories, but I think it helped really plant them as as real solid characters, you know, in the in the minds of readers. 
So when you say this, I didn't think about this uh, reading the book, but you have a reputation where you have often revisited characters from a book and given them their own their own books. <laughs> but not, not that you're not like putting on the spot here, but there's definitely there would be a possibility for I'm thinking, oh, there's a book, there's a story I really want to hear more. So I, I yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the adventures of uh, Beauty Man and Chalfant, the two deputies, the two sheriffs, you know that that the 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 adventures that they go through before we even like start the book like are they could be their own book you know they're really picaresque and um mitmul and and again the love story and stuff so yeah i i yeah i could totally see doing that someday i mean yeah, i don't I want to leave this world <laughs> yeah i love farm enoch farmer i thought that character was so brilliant and i was getting like a sixth sense feel like part of the times i was mm -hmm. reading the book the movie the sixth sense uh yeah it was, yeah, it was really fun. So I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep you too long and we don't want to oh, give away too much of the book. So right. uh, I want to end with the question I always end with, what is your hope for this book? Oh, my hope is uh, first of all, that young readers like it and their parents like it and teachers like it, um, obviously. But more than anything, I think the, the message of the book and why it's funny because my um, my editor was quoted as saying, it's it's, you know, this is such a, necessary book for the times we're living in. And I, I I kind of came to understand what that, what she was talking about. It's just, we've just lived through, we're living through a lockdown and um, such a tremendous loss uh, in this in this world at, at the moment. And so many people have experienced tragedies and, and sort of in a communal way. Um, what Pony really is about ultimately is the sort of the enduring strength of love and the connections that tie us all together as human beings. So, you know, I'm hoping that some comfort is drawn from Pony um, in some way. I know that, you know, it does talk a little bit about the afterlife and sort of the connections that we make lasting beyond our own lifetimes. And uh, I hope people draw some comfort from that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Yarn. Thank you to RJ Palacio for taking the time to chat with me. I loved Pony, and I think young readers are going to eat this one up. Thank you to Philip Stead for creating our theme song. Additional music for this episode comes from the Free Music Archive. Thank you also to Heinemann Publishing for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to my co-host, Travis Yonker, for helping me produce this show. Uh, be sure to check out his blog, 100scopenotes.com. Uh, he's got some amazing blog posts up there, a uh, favorite of mine is his list of books that he thinks might be considered for the New York Times Best Illustrated Book List. He's got like 40 or so books on there, and I think that you probably will find some books you want to add to your to-read list. We leave you now with a clip from the Pony audiobook, read by Ian Hawkins. It was my bout with lightning that inspired Pa to become immersed in the photographic sciences, which is how this all began. Pa had always had a natural curiosity about photography, having come from Scotland, where such arts flourish. He dabbled in daguerreotypes for a short while after settling in Ohio, a region naturally full of salt springs, from which comes the agent bromine, an essential component of the developing process. But daguerreotypes were an expensive enterprise that turned very little profit, and Pa did not have the means to pursue it. People haven't the money for delicate souvenirs he reasoned, which is why he became a bootmaker. People always have a need for boots, he said.
Pa's specialty was the calf-high wellington and grain leather, to which he added a secret compartment in the heel for the storing of tobacco or a pocket knife. This convenience was greatly desired by customers, so we got by pretty well on those boot orders. Pa worked in the shed next to the barn, and once a month traveled to Boneville with a cart full of boots, pulled by mule, our mule. But after lightning imprinted my back with the image of the oak tree, Pa once again turned his attention to the science of photography. It was his belief that the image on my skin had come there as a consequence of the same chemical reactions at play in photography. The human body, he told me as I watched him mixing chemicals that smelled of rotten eggs and cider vinegar, is a vessel full of the same mysterious substances, subject to the same physical laws as everything else in the universe. If an image can be preserved by the action of light upon your body, it can be preserved by the same action upon paper. That is why it was not daguerreotypes that drew his interest anymore, but a new form of photography involving paper soaked in a solution of iron and salt to which is transferred, by means of sunlight, a positive image from a glass negative. Pa quickly mastered the new science and became a highly regarded practitioner of the collodion process, as it was called, an art form hardly seen in these parts. It was a bold field, requiring great experimentation and resulting in pictures most astounding in their beauty. Pa's iron types, as he called them, had none of the exactitude of daguerreotypes, but were imbued with subtle shadings that made them look like charcoal art. He used his own proprietary formula for the sensitizer, which is where the bromine came in, and applied for a patent before opening a studio in Boneville, down the road from the courthouse. In no time at all, his iron-dusted paper portraits became quite the rage around here, for not only were they infinitely cheaper than daguerreotypes, but they could be reproduced over and over again from a single negative. Adding even more to their allure, and for an extra charge, Pa would tint them with a mix of egg wash and colored pigment, which gave them a lifelike semblance most extraordinary to behold. People traveled from all over to have their portraits taken. One fancy lady came all the way from Akron for a sitting. I assisted in Pa's studio, adjusting the skylight and cleaning the focusing plates. A few times, Pa even let me polish the new brass portrait lens, which had been a major investment in the business and required delicacy in its handling. Such had our circumstances turned, Pa's and mine, that he was contemplating selling his bootmaking enterprise altogether, for he said he much preferred the smell of mixing potions to the stink of people's feet. It was at this time that our lives were forever changed by the pre-dawn visitation of three riders and a bald-faced pony.